Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Ephesians chapter 5, really we're going to hit the last verse of chapter 4 again, and then move on into chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4, the very last verse, and then chapter 5. As we continue on in this, and today we're going to talk about grace amazing. Grace amazing. I will, because it's right in the text, I will show you the simplest, clearest, in my opinion, concise declaration of the gospel that you will see anywhere. Right here in the book of Ephesians. Now, if you were here last week, you recognize we covered the last verse of chapter 4 as part of the message on forgive and live. We're going to start there today as well, and I'll show you why in just a second. So look with me over Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, right there at the end of the chapter. It says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, if you look at the next verse, and we will in a second, the next verse says, it has a therefore in it. Anytime there's a therefore, you ask that question. What's it there for? It's a, it's a connecting word. It's a transition word. And generally when you see it, it tells you that what has been said in the past is connected to what is about to be said. That's the reason we're reading this again. Because it continues the thought into chapter 5. The, the, the Word of God is inspired. I believe that with all my heart. But the breaks in it are not inspired. They're man-made. They're helpful. They're tools. Just like in a book, you have chapters and page numbers and all that. They do the same thing in the Bible. But just because a chapter ends doesn't mean the thought ends. And the Apostle Paul is continuing in chapter 5 this thought that he started in chapter 4. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, before we leave this, I was reading something this week, and I want to share it with you. And if you take notes... This might be something you want to jot down. I found this extremely helpful. It was written over 300 years ago by Thomas Watson, the old Puritan pastor. But it talks about how you recognize what real forgiveness looks like. And it's a quote by him, and I think we have that quote up there. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, number one, when we will not do our enemies mischief or harm, that's number two, but wish well to them, that's number three, grieve at their calamities, that's number four, pray for them, number five, seek reconciliation with them, that's number six, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Those seven things, now if you wanted to jot them down, here's a simple way in English that's not 300 years old, all right, number one, resist revenge, that's what he's saying, resist revenge. Anybody ever want to get revenge? (laughs) <laughs> Some of you are lying because that's not nearly, that's not nearly enough hands, all right? You weren't listening or you're lying, one or the other, okay? Mm, let me ask again, how many of you ever want to get revenge? All right, that's more honest, okay? Matter of fact, if I were, how many want to get revenge this week? I mean, that, I mean that, would, that might be a fewer number, but resisting revenge is number one. Number two, not returning evil for evil. You, you said something mean to me, so I say something mean to you. You hurt me, you hurt my feelings, I'm going to hurt your feelings. You did damage, you caused me loss, I'm going to cause you loss. That's evil for evil. Wishing them well. In other words, one of the ways that my mentor used to say this, wish for them, pray for them what you would ask God to give to you. 
grieve at their calamities. When something bad happens, when something comes like, oh, you finally got yours. Finally got what was coming to you. No, no. Scripture actually says that if we rejoice when our enemy suffers, then the Lord stops the suffering. Which I guess if you wanted them to stop suffering, you could rejoice at it and the Lord would stop. But anyway, um, that's not what he asked us to do. Grieve at their calamities. Pray for their welfare. Seek reconciliation as far as it's possible with you. I say it that way because sometimes the reconciliation is blocked on the other side. But as far as it's possible with you, seek reconciliation. And come to their aid in distress. When they have problem, when they have need, you come to their aid. He said, these, Thomas Watson said, these seven things, by the way, they're all biblical. If I had time this morning, I'd go through and show you the biblical text for each one. These seven things represent a heart that is forgiving. And folks, we never look, and we're going to see that this morning in the message, we never look more like Jesus than when we're forgiving. We look most like Jesus when we forgive. And you think I'm making that up, it's right here in the text. Matter of fact, we read it in that last verse. Forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. We look like God when we forgive, because that's who he is. Now, continuing on, look at, with me at, at chapter 5, verse 1. 1 and 2, we're going to look at those verses. Therefore, there's our word, be imitators of God. In other pattern your life, look like God. People see you and say, yeah, that looks like Jesus. I, don't, I never met Jesus, but what I read about him, what I've heard about him, that looks like Jesus. As beloved children, do this not because... You're trying to be something you're not, but because you're part of the family, you look like your family. I mean, it's funny when people come around and Andrew's standing next to me and they'll look and say, he's yours. I go, yeah, he's mine. He is. He looks like part of the family. The girls look. And it's real funny because usually because he's tall and got red hair, people, some of his features look like the Wilkerson side of the family, more than my side of the family. And the girls sometimes have my, you know, but you look like you're in a family. You see someone. You can see when we have family members visit, and they're older, and they come visit, and you can look and say, yeah, I can tell what family you're in. I can see it. It's there. Because we're not trying to be something we're not. We are part of a family, and we want to look like the family that we're in. Now it goes on to verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Here's the gospel. Very simple. And yet sometimes we still miss it, even though, for many of us, we know it so well. We miss it. There are three things in this passage that God did for you and me before we were born. Three things. You know what they are? First of all, he loved us with a special, saving, eternal love before we were ever born. Before we were ever born, he loved us with a special, saving, eternal love. He didn't just start loving you because you made a decision one day based on a message that you heard. He has loved you for all of eternity with eternal love, which means it has no beginning and no end. It also means you didn't earn it because you weren't even around to earn it. He's loved you that way before you were ever born. That's what it says. When he's talking about this, we go through and read, walking as Christ loved us, loved, and, and the tense here, he's, just, he's always loved us. He's never stopped. The Old Testament says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You were loved. You were loved before you came to Christ, you were loved. 
Now, were you still a sinner? Was, did judgment still rest upon you? Absolutely. But it didn't mean that God didn't love you. He still loved you. He loved you. Now, and here's the thing. There's two sides to this coin often with people. First of all, you think, well, sure he loved me. I'm pretty lovable. I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty nice. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty nice. Why wouldn't God love me? I mean, I, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not Hitler or anything. I mean, I don't know why we always go to Hitler when we look for an example, but I'm not Hitler, which I'm glad. I'm hopeful that none of us are responsible for the death of six million people. Uh, but, you know, there, here's the problem. James 2.10 says that if I have broken even one of God's laws, one of his standards, which are holy, then I'm guilty of breaking them all. I stand before you this morning as one who is a murderer and a thief and an adulterer. Every law that God says, this is not my plan or design for you. The scripture says if I've broken even one because maybe I lusted, because I lied, or I took something. Maybe it was a little something, but I took something. He says if I've broken one, I've broken them all. This is why the scripture says we have all sinned. And you know what? The scripture goes even further and says, even before you were born, or even before you, after you were born, even before you were big enough to steal something or lie or do any of that, you were born with a sin nature. You were born separated from God. All of us were. That's the truth. We weren't born good and then got bad because of things that happened to us in life. That may be that may be convenient, it may be popular, but it's not truth. Every one of us, every child born, is born a sinner, a rebel against God. And here, by the way, we talk about Adolf Hitler. Do you know that the root sin that Adolf Hitler had, you and I had as well, or have, if you're not born again? The same root sin that he had. See, we worry about the sins, S-I-N-S, sins. We tend to ignore the root sin. You know what the root sin is? The root sin, Jesus talks about in Luke 19 when he gives this parable. And there's this king who has these servants. And the servants say, we will not have this man rule over us. That's the root sin. In the garden, Satan comes to them because he'd already committed this sin. He says, I'm going to be like God. And he's cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. He says, I will be on the same level as God. Nobody's going to rule over me. Nobody's going to have authority over me. I will submit to no one. And so he comes to Adam and Eve and says, God said you shouldn't eat of this tree, but he knows. He's holding out on you. He knows that when you do it, you'll be like him. You'll see as he sees. You'll know what he knows. He's afraid of that. He lied to them. They believe it. They eat, they experience the consequences of that, but the root sin for Adam and Eve is the root sin, that sin nature that is passed down to every individual, and that is, I will be the boss of my own life. I'll be in charge. That's the root sin. We all have it. You can be quiet in your personality and demeanor. You can be expressive. You can, you can be thoughtful in the way, but every one of us still struggles with this same issue and it is a work of the holy spirit that changes it which says i will surrender my life i will submit my life to the one who loved me and has loved me with an everlasting love 
Now, some of you are on the other side of the coin, and you say, I don't believe God could love me. Troy, you just don't know all that's in my life. I don't believe he can love me. That's the reason we go to the second point, and it's right here. He gave himself up for us. And you say, yeah, but that was before I did what I did. Do you think he didn't know what you were going to do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, you say, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, but he knew you was going to be a sinner when you were born, and he knew what sins you were going to commit. He knows now. God always knew. I don't know how did he, I don't know how he knew he's God. He knew. And he always knows. He loves me anyway. He loves me in spite of, but he recognizes that even though he loves me, that my sin has a price. That price is death, and it has to be paid for. So his son is sacrificed. Jesus is sacrificed for my sin because he loved me with an everlasting love, and he knew I could never be in relationship with him any other way. So his son dies on my behalf for my sin. He becomes my sacrifice, my substitute. And he willingly does that. That's the gospel. Now, here's the next point, though, that is just as good as that point. See, we sometimes we say, oh, Jesus died for my sin. You know what? I could try to die for somebody's sin, and it wouldn't matter. But notice what it says. It was a fragrant offering and sacrifice, a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, it was accepted by the Father. Not only was he the substitute who died for you and me, but that price, that sacrifice that he made, the Father said, I accept. And since he accepted it, the punishment for that sin can never again be laid on you and me. Why? Because it's already been paid for in Jesus and God the Father accepted it. It's already done. No, je no double jeopardy. There cannot be double jeopardy. Why do you think that's in our laws? Because the founders understood this principle. You cannot pay for sin that's already been paid for or a crime that's already been paid for or that you've already been acquitted of. That happened before we were ever born. All of that. Now what happened after we were born? After we were born, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, draws us by faith to believe this truth and to be placed into the family of God. That's what he does. When we believe, when he reveals to us this truth, and we believe it, that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and we believe it. He draws us. He causes us to have faith to believe. You didn't just happen upon Jesus. Okay? You didn't just stumble into the family. You were drawn. You were chosen. You were pursued. And the Holy Spirit drew you. And you responded to that. When you responded to that, you were adopted. Notice what it says. I believe it's in the previous verse. Yes, beloved children. Carol uses this term all the way. Beloved. Beloved. We are beloved. We be loved. It may not be proper grammar, but it's great theology. All right? It's great theology. We be loved. We are beloved children. Why? Because he drew us and caused us to believe the truth and we responded to that. 
and he puts us into the family and says, you are my children. The inheritance is yours. We saw it in the first part of Ephesians when it says we have every spiritual blessing already in him. What's his is mine. He makes me righteous. I am as righteous this morning as I stand before you as Jesus is righteous. I'm just that righteous. I'm not perfect. I haven't been perfect this week. As a matter of fact, I was worshiping down here and God reminded me of some things that happened in my life this week and the Holy Spirit said, that's not what I have for you. That's not my design for you. And I'm saying, Lord, you're right. I acknowledge it. That's not your design. I, surrender. I submit to you and your plan for me. Not that. I'm not perfect, but I'm righteous. Amen. I'm as righteous as Jesus is righteous. And it cannot be changed. It cannot be taken away. Nobody can take it from me, and I can't lose it myself. I can't be bad enough to make it go away. Because if I could, that meant I bought it to start with. I paid for it to start with, and I never did. My righteousness is not dependent on my level of commitment. On my, it's not even my commitment on my best day. It's based not on what I have done or will do, but what Jesus already did. And what he continues to do. What does he continue to do? To intercede on my behalf. To continue to be the payment, the sacrifice for me. Eternally, once for all, Hebrews says. This is the good news. This is the gospel. It is good news. Sometimes what we give people is not good news. It's just information. It's religious stuff. This is good news. That's why they called it that. The gospel literally means good news. I got put in the family, adopted in, with all the rights, with all the privileges, all of it mine. And here's the part that makes you just want to shout, all right? Because he says that he did all of this because he loved us. And... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. No condemnation. Let me say it a different way because condemnation is not a word we use all the time. There's no blame, shame, guilt. None of it. None of it. Everything attached to my sin and sins was paid for by Jesus. Has been applied to me by faith if I have believed. Now, if you haven't believed, it's truth that you haven't experienced yet. But if you have believed, it has been applied to you. This is the gospel. It changes your life. It changes who you are. You are not the same. Sometimes, I think we take this, if we've been around church and Christianity a long time, we take this message for granted. This is the greatest message the world's ever heard. I mean, there's other good stuff. I, there's, the Bible's full of good stuff. But this is good news. Good news. This is what he did. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, you forgive, and you do all of this with one another because you are more and more aware of what Jesus has done for you. And I will tell you that that is true. The older I get and the more I walk with Jesus, I find myself much more forgiving because I realize how much I have been forgiven. Why would I condemn you for that which I am not condemned? 
It's hypocrisy. It's not living up to my birthright and my inheritance because I have been given so much more. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, forgive that way because of the gospel and the good news. All right? That's my message. Right there. That's my message. Now here, I'm not quite done. All right? I'm almost done, but not quite. Some of you, many of you today, you say, yes, I agree with that. I have believed that, and I have received it. But there may be some of you today here who have never believed that. You've never really wrestled that through. You've never seen it before. Maybe you've heard things before, but today it's like it resonated with you in a way that it has not resonated before. You know, if that is true, you know why? Because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see it. I mean, a hundred different people could say it to you a hundred different ways. But one day, at one moment in time, the Greek word is kairos, but in that moment, in that instant, your eyes are open. You see what you didn't see. And you believe what you couldn't believe before. If today is that day for you, I would challenge you Right where you sit, right now. Now, in a little while, when we dismiss this service, I'm going to encourage you to talk to someone about it. But right now, and I tell you that up front because I don't want to trick anybody. I'm going to encourage you. I'm not going to make you, all right? But I'm going to encourage you. If you, if you pray here in a moment, I'm going to encourage you to talk to somebody afterward. Say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Or I wanted to pray that prayer, but I wasn't quite sure. Maybe you could help me. But you come in your own words. They don't have to be my words. This is just a template, if you will. It's a pattern that you can use, but it's your words. Your words contain these thoughts. Number one, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that. I believe that He is God. I believe that He died on a cross for my sin. I believe that. I believe that He paid for it once for all. I believe that He's invited me to receive eternal life as a free gift I believe that and so right now based on what I believe I also believe that I am a sinner that I am a I have committed treason against the high, most high God which we all have we have all committed treason against the most high God and said we will not have him rule over us that was the spirit we were born with I recognize I'm a sinner. I change that a little bit for me because it has more impact to me. Sometimes we just throw the word sinner around, like, oh, it's a sin, I'm a sinner. No, I'm a traitor. I'm a rebel. I committed treason against a perfect holy God. And he loved me anyway. He died for me anyway. He made a way for me, and so I receive that right now. I acknowledge who I am and I receive and right now I believe that I am a child of God that I am changed I am a new creation in him that's who I am you say that's a lot of words okay it's a it's just a template but it contains those things who Jesus is I believe who he is I believe who I was and I believe right now I can receive the gift that he paid for and I receive it by faith right now it's that simple the words can be yours but right where you are today, if you have never had that transaction with God and the Holy Spirit is moving in you, he's stirring you, say, believe this, this is true, then I encourage you right where you sit, right now before you move, 
just to simply, quietly, right between, between you and God, say, God, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe I'm a sinner. I'm a traitor. I believe the only hope for me is you. You died on a cross for me, and I receive that gift right now. I receive it. Now, in a few minutes when we finish this service, we'll have prayer partners around, and we'll have people around. There are people at Guest Central. There'll be, there'll be folks all over. Even, some of you may be headed over to the new, uh, um, uh, new Life Point, which happens today, first Sunday, um, for like 10 minutes right afterward. It just kind of gives you a... Uh, Aaron has described it as speed dating for churches. Um, but it, it gives you 10 minutes, which I think is clever. It gives you 10 minutes, really, to say, yeah, I kind of like you, no, let's move on. All right? And so you don't have to waste a lot of time that way because every church is different. What God's doing is different in every place. And so you may have prayed that prayer, and you're headed over there right after. That's fine. After they finish their 10 minutes, just catch one of the leaders over there and say, hey, I prayed that prayer this morning. They'll rejoice with you. They'll, they'll praise God with you. And then what we'll do is we want to walk with you in that. Help you understand some things that we didn't understand when we first started this journey because we start as babes. We start as infants, if you will, in this spiritual journey. And so we help one another as we grow in it. But for some of you today, many of you, you've prayed this. You've believed this. You, believe, you stake your life on it. I'm not having to convince you of anything. I'm preaching to the choir. But I want to challenge you with what I am continually being challenged with in recent days and weeks is that it's not enough to know the good news. I must share the good news. I must share it. The disciples said we cannot help but to speak of the things that we have seen and heard. What has happened to us, we can't help but tell people about it. Who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, I can't help it. Now, I don't have to, we don't have to do it the same way. We won't do it the same way. But this is an, incredible, an incredibly important part of our custom-made calling is that I make Jesus known. How do we do that? Sometimes it's as simple as you're talking to somebody and say, I, t- I can tell your burden. Is there something I could pray for you? I, I, I pray. I believe God hears and answers prayer. Could I pray for you? And they say, yeah. Most of the time when I ask people I can pray, I rarely have had somebody say, no, I don't want you praying for me. Rarely. It has happened a couple times, but it's rare. Most of the time, yeah, please pray for me. And then I will. I say, you want me to pray right now? Would you like me to pray? I'll stop and pray for you right now, or I'll pray later, whichever you prefer. If you like, I'd, ha- I'd be happy to do it right now. But sometimes it's not appropriate right now. I'm in the drive through line. It's not appropriate right there, okay? People behind, they're not paying it forward. They want me to get out of the way. So, um, you know, so it's not always appropriate. By the way, be sensitive to things around you and your surroundings. When you're, when you're sharing Jesus, we don't want to give Jesus a black eye because we just missed out on social cues, okay? But sometimes it's like Pastor Paul who every week rides a bus, just gets on a bus and rides it, talks to people, prays to people. Others go to a bus stop. Others go to the boardwalk over at the beach. Others have gone downtown. Others are trying to reach their neighbor's there are a million different ways, but the, but the driving force is I want to make Jesus known. I'm asking for ways. Lord, give me eyes to see, ways I can make you known. Sometimes we have been Christians for so long 
we don't even know non-Christians anymore. That's especially difficult for me. I could literally spend all of my life and then some with just believers and trying to pour into believers because of the role that I have. I can easily go through life and rarely ever have any interaction at all with someone who doesn't know Jesus. So I have to be intentional about trying to find people. Open my eyes and look and see, Lord, is there somebody I've been praying for, actually, and I'm looking forward to the day when God's going to give more, but I remember telling you here a few months ago about the situation at the convenience store, about Lori and her eyes, the whole deal. Remember I told you that story? All right. It's been a complete, I started praying for that individual, that, that cashier. I've started praying for them. There has been a complete transformation in their attitude. I am their best friend when I go in there now. I really am. They talk to me like I'm a long lost friend. And I'm looking forward to the moment in the day where we're able to go to that next step and say, you know, can I talk to you about something that's really important to me? And, and so, but I continue to pray. I'm looking for that open door. We want the Lord to stir within us this fire to say, I want to tell the story. I want to tell the story. For some of you, you say, I just really struggle with all this. Start with just praying. Just start there. Begin praying for someone that God brings across your path. Praying for them. When we dismiss a little later, out at the table out there, the Space Coast City Fest is coming to town. There's some prayer cards out there. Now, those are designed specifically for you to pray for up to five people that you'd like to bring to City Fest so they could hear the gospel. That's one thing that you could do. But even if you don't bring them, because i got three on my heart and mind right now, and I don't think any of them are going to go to City Fest. I honestly don't. Because of their age and just different things, I don't think they're going to go to City Fest. I mean, God can do miracles, and I get all that. But, but what I'm, pray, I'm still praying for them. You get it? They don't go to City Fest. I can still pray for them. I can still look for the opportunity for the gospel to come into their life and be a part of that. But this is a, this is a tool. This is a way that you can do it. City Fest, you say, what is City Fest? It's happening in about seven weeks. It's really the churches of Brevard County. I think there are 150 or 60 churches, they said the other night when we were there. That are, is that right? I think that number's right, around 150, 160 churches that are involved in Brevard County and City Fest, which is basically an opportunity to bring our community together and for the gospel to be shared. Think of it as a Billy, Gru a Billy Graham crusade, but hipper. All right? Um, you know. Um, and so that's what they're doing. Now, can I, be, can I be completely honest with you? Thank you. Thank you. No, lie to you. All right. Here's the deal. I'm not a huge fan of big events. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the best way to share Jesus or help people grow and disciple them. I don't. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it. But that doesn't mean I'm against it. All right? It doesn't mean it's wrong or sinful. There are many who have come to know Jesus through something like a crusade. Are there any in here today who come to know Jesus through a crusade? There's at least one. When's that? There you go. There we go. There we go. Watch them on TV. Yeah. Again. So people do come to Christ and begin their journey with Jesus in these big events. I mean, hundreds of them, thousands of them do. 
So we're, I'm not against that, even though the big event is not necessarily my thing. But here is my thing. I want to be an instrument in the hands of my king to make the story known in any way that he gives me opportunity. So when we dismiss today, you may say, there, there are ways you could be involved. Now, some of you may love big events. That is your cup of tea. Well, please stop by the table out there, all right? And, there, and there'll be some folks who were with me recently at a training, and they, they, they can answer some questions for you. There are two ways I feel like, really three ways, I feel like God could work in our body here primarily when it comes to CFS. One is prayer. As a matter of fact, I would love to take those cards if God gives you some names that you're praying for, and if you would allow us the privilege to be able to pray with you about those names. The people that you're praying for, we want to pray right along with you. I also think that there will be some of us where God will call us to be praying hides. Do you know who praying hide is? He was the guy who prayed behind. Um, Charles Finney was this great revivalist and evangelist, and he'd go in and preach and different ones. But praying hide was the man who prayed behind the scenes. He was the one nobody saw, but he would go sometimes weeks in advance just praying. Pray, because when something happens in someone's life in this way, it wasn't by human effort. It was because a spiritual work took place. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is a spiritual battle. It's one with spiritual weapons. And prayer is one of those spiritual weapons. I think it is a primary spiritual weapon. And so to be able to pray in that way, I can see some of you will be called, maybe even to drive around the grounds out there, the park up in Vieira, and drive around and just pray. You may be there the day of, and that's all you're doing is you're, you're just praying. You're praying for God to move and work. So you could be engaged in that. Or you're praying for people that you want to see the Holy Spirit speak to and draw them into salvation. But you're also, you could be, some of you could be what they call festival friends. A festival friend is going to be someone that they train. It's very simple training. But you're going to be there. And if you, you say, I would love to share the gospel, but I'm, there are so many walls for me to overcome. This is probably the easiest opportunity you'll ever have to share the gospel because the people will already be there. The evangelist, the speaker will have already spoken and shared the gospel and asked them to raise their hand and then you're going to be standing around and you're going to see someone and then the evangelist is going to say, now somebody's going to come up to you and ask you why you raised your hand. And so you're going to walk up to them and say, I saw you raise your hand. Why did you raise your hand? So well, I want to know Jesus. And then you have a little thing to help you. you say, well, here, we just walk through this. And then you're filling out some information and it's not all on you. Because we're following up. And this is the other thing I feel like that God would have us be about. This is my heart as a pastor. I don't want to see any person who's there that day, who's responding to the Spirit's work, get lost in the shuffle. I don't want to see any of them get lost. So I really want to be engaged when this thing is over. All those people who sign cards, and they're going to be helping, and that's their desire as well, to get them lined up with churches close by to them. So there'll be a lot of work to do after this is all said and done. To walk alongside with people who said, yeah, something was stirred in me. I believed, I received, but now I don't know how to walk. We could be engaged in this. I believe we should be engaged in it in whatever way the Lord has for us. So when we finish today, if you have questions about any of this stuff, go by the table. They can give you more detail. They can refer you to the website. You can begin, this is happening seven, eight weeks from now, and begin to pray through, Lord, what do you want to do in this community? God is at work in this community. I believe that with all of my heart. I have been here now 24 years. 
this month. 24 years this month. I didn't want to come 24 years ago, and several times after then I tried to leave. And the Lord said, no, I have called you to this place. Now, I've been in two different church bodies in this location. So it wasn't a particular church that God called me to. He called me to the location. I'm just grateful he's allowed me to stay in this one for 20 years, 21 now. And yet, I know that God called me here for a reason. I believe he's called you here for a reason. And I believe, though some have pronounced spiritual death over this county and said it's a spiritual graveyard. And I understand why they would say that because it can be challenging at times. I believe that there is life spoken over this county, that God is at work here. And he's doing things. And it's not going to look like traditional church, folks. It's just not. I think that's been one of our problems. I think we've tried to do traditional church in a place where God says, I want to do something new. You're trying to put new wine in old wineskins, and it doesn't work. I want to be part of that. Now, again, I still, I still don't, I don't like BMX necessarily. I don't want to go to Kids Zone anymore because my kids are older now, and I did that. I paid my dues. I don't want to go to Kids Zone anymore. All right? Um, some have grandchildren, and I understand that's even better than with kids, but I don't have them yet. All right? I don't want to go to loud concerts, really. All right? I mean, I, concerts are okay, but I, that's not necessarily my thing. But what I do want is to be used of God in whatever way he chooses to say, I want to use you as a tool to help bring someone else into contact with me. So what I want really is irrelevant. What I like does not matter because I am no longer living in treason and rebellion against my king. I now surrender to my king. And when I do, I find out it's the life I always wanted. It was the life I was designed for. It was my custom-made calling. I just thought it looked different. This is what he wants to do. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask them to come. They're going to lead us in a worship song in just a moment after I pray. But here's the thing. If today you said, you know, the Holy Spirit moved to me and I prayed or I want to pray, when we finish in a few moments, we have prayer partners. We always have prayer partners. Grab one of them. Say, hey, I prayed that. Let them rejoice. If you have to go to New Life Point, tell them over there when you're done. Tell somebody before you go. If you prayed that prayer today, tell someone before you go. Say, I prayed that. Let us rejoice with you and walk with you. Let us celebrate. We're going to have a party. Because we all have been there. We were once were lost and now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. If you haven't prayed that prayer, you say, I'm kind of wrestling with this a little bit. Talk to someone. Let them pray for you. We're not going to force you to do anything. I never, I, well, I shouldn't say I never have. Probably my younger days and I'm more zealous. But in my mature days, I don't force people to do anything. I can't. I'm just here to walk with you. Encourage you. Tell you what I've seen and heard. What I've experienced. That's what we want to do for you. And for the rest of us who know him, how is he calling us to be witnesses, to share him. You say, well, I just do it in the way I live my life. That's great. That's certainly better than living like a person who's lost. All right? 
But I believe there's a call for more than just to live a certain way. There are times where he wants us to speak on behalf of him, to speak words to people. How are we doing that? How are we making him known? And I'm not preaching at you. I, I, if I point a finger at you, I got three pointing at me. Because it's easy for me to get caught up in my life of just walking with Christians, doing the church thing. And sometimes I forget all about the fact that there are people who don't know him yet. And I have the privilege of bringing good news. Good news. The results are not on you. If you feel that pressure today, just throw it down, leave it here. Because the results are not on you. The Holy Spirit does the work. The only thing I'm responsible for is to surrender to him and say, I will be your hands and feet. I'll be your mouth. I'll, I'll go where you go, where you send me. I'll say what you have me say. I'll be quiet when you tell me to be quiet. I'll pray when you call me to pray. Lord, today, help us as your people. Help us. For those today who don't know you, Lord, today, may today be the day of salvation as you draw them, Holy Spirit. For those who do, for those of us who know you and find it difficult, or sometimes we don't even think about sharing you or talking about you, or the people around us who may not know you, then do a work today. Lord, would you cause all of us to be engaged with what you're doing here in the next few weeks and months in this county. That the gospel would go forth in power. That Jesus would be lifted up. That you would draw all men and women and children to yourself, Lord Jesus. That your power would shake this county. Not man's power, not his engine, not our great planning, not our coming together and putting our resources. Your power, not man's. We ask you for it. We believe you for it. And we look forward to what you're going to do in and through us. We thank you, Lord, today that you have loved us with an everlasting love. That you paid for our sin, all of them, for all time. That, Father, you received that payment. You said it was enough. And there is no condemnation attached to us. No judgment, no guilt, nothing. And that by faith you have brought us into the family. Lord, we pray for many more. Lord, we want our family to be big, to keep growing. Those who know you, more and more of those who know you, we pray for this. Let's stand.